The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Hey, what is up, everyone? Welcome to the Crack House Chronicles. I am Donnie, your host, and with me is a man that says the closest he's ever gotten to murder is holding cookies under the milk until the bubbles stop. What's up, Dale? <laughs> What's going on, man? Yeah, sometimes you just got to choke them out, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah, make, make the cookie swell up just like the body. Yeah, make that belly get bigger. That's it. What's going on, dude? <laughs> oh, nothing there. Getting ready for these holiday times. See what's going on the rust and craziness. Yep, I see it. It's, it's Christmas time. It is here, man. It is on us. It is on us. What's going on? You got any shout-outs for us this oh, week, man, dude? we got a few. I'd like to give a little shout-out to uh, Sharon and uh, Loopy Newhouse in England over there. I'd like to say hey, thanks, and uh, hey, appreciate what's up, you girl? listening, guys. And uh, to our buddy Stick Elliott. Man, I really appreciate the comments you left us on Facebook. That was pretty cool. All right. Hey, Stick, stay skinny, man. <laughs> and uh, to, uh, another shout I'd like to give uh, to our old buddy uh, Sandy Carlton from uh, Big Sound Small Town who kind of really uh, gave us the idea to check this episode out that we're going to give for you today because uh, it's a pretty pretty wild story. And uh, he was actually neighbors with these people uh, back in 72, lived down the road from them. And, uh, so he remembers when all this took place. Yeah, he remembers some... yeah it was pretty wild, actually. Well, know? Sandy, thank you for... Uh, turning us on to this episode and giving us the idea for it damn right that's cool. we're gonna get into this and uh before we get into it i'll just go ahead and say make sure you guys check out his podcast too because it's really good and uh we're gonna be doing some stuff together far before long anyway and uh, he's a good guy check it out all right okay dale this episode is episode number 26 26 the durham family murders and this takes place in boone north carolina in 1972 now, Bryce Durham, he was the father of this family of four. He had a wife, Virginia, a son named Bobby Joe, and a daughter named Jenny. But you don't hear to me kids named Bobby Joe anymore, do you? No. <laughs> uh-huh. No, you don't. All right. You really don't hear many people named Bryce from that era either. You no, you don't. That's almost that's like a, a modern. Yeah, I guess the first person I heard Bryce was Bryce Lee. Around here, anyway. Yeah. The guy run up the road with a 350 engine block on his back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this was uh, 1972, and he was 51 at the time. So, you know, he was, you know, that was a pretty unique name. Right. You know, Bobby Joe was uh, 19, I think, right? Yeah. And the daughter was what? 20. She was 20. Okay. And Virginia, I think she was about nine years younger than Bryce. She was 44 at this time, I believe. Yeah. All right. They were from, originally from Wilkes County, North Carolina, and they moved to Mount Airy, North Carolina, where Bryce was in the car loan business. Mount Airy. Mount Airy, yes, yeah, um, Andy Griffin country. Hey, Andy. Andy Griffin. Andy Griffin country. All right. But then in 1969, they moved to Boone, where Bryce opened up a Buick dealership. And this is something he'd always wanted to do. This was like a, a dream of his to have a car dealership. And it had been reported that 
there was a former trial judge named Phil Ginn. I'm, I'm pretty sure that's how you say his last name. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. He made the comment one time about Bryce that, you know, he just kind of showed up there one day, him and his family. And nobody knew much about the family. They were they sort of kept their self kind of private. But everything that I've read, Dale, and heard, and podcasts I've listened to on this, that he was a pretty honest man. Yeah, seemed to be. Bryce, seen, yeah. he was straight up in his dealings. He didn't he didn't have any known enemies or anything like that. Right. All right, Dale, we're going to get into February the 3rd. 1972. Now they come to, did they come to Boone because the kids were going to App State? Is that why they all moved? You know, be there so everybody would be close. And I don't know. I know Bryce was a, a graduate there. He had a degree in ath- athletics, athletic education. Yeah, and that could have been why. But I think I, I think yeah, there's something to maybe. Uh, Bobby Joe was going when he going there, and I yeah, think Bobby it, Joe was going there, and Jenny had dropped out. Yeah, Jenny was Jenny going there, but had dropped out. Right. But we're going we're going to talk about that okay. stuff a little bit later. I was just yeah. uh, trying to put together how they why they would move from. But that's Miami. that's a good point. I didn't think about why they went to. They could all Boone. be together, right? Yeah. Now this uh, Phil Ginn, who was a former trial judge, he was a at the time he was a close friend of Bobby Joe, the son. And the night of the murders, he was supposed to meet him at an Appalachian State University basketball game. Right. Yeah. All right, now, like we said, this was February the 3rd, 1972, and it was a Thursday. And around 3 p.m. that day, Dale, it started snowing. Yeah, it was forecast was pretty bleak that night. It was supposed to be up to, like, what, 40-mile-an-hour winds and heavy snow, blizzard-like conditions. Almost. Yeah, and the temperature was supposed to be sub-zero temperatures. Mm. So it was going to be cold. It was going to be treacherous. Roads were going to be bad. Frozen over quick. Yeah. The Durham family, they lived in Boone for about 18 months before all this happened so they hadn't been there long so you know they pro- and a half, yeah. yeah they probably met some people or you know they probably didn't have a lot of friends I, you know being somewhere 18 months you know I'm, i went to college at east carolina and i lived there five years and i didn't even after five years i didn't know a lot of people right you know i had a few friends a that, circle of yeah hangout folks. pretty much yeah i had just a few friends that you know even today i still stay in touch with but uh, I can't imagine just 18 months how many people, you know, I mean, what kind of circle you would have had. Well, if you're a car dealership, you'll know a few more people than if you're this just is, going to school, you know. This it's, is true. It's uh, kind of networking, and that's probably why he was in a rotary club and that kind of thing. And mm-hmm. probably a little social. I mean, there was no social media, so you do it yourself. Pretty much, yeah. But my dad, being a car dealer, you know, most of his life, they pretty much, you even you get your your certain clients and stuff you build them pretty quick and if you're a good person they're going to come back mm-hmm. all right like we said it was snowing that day it was pretty treacherous yeah but also bryce had a rotary club meeting yeah that day it's it'd been scheduled and this was up at appalachian ski mountain which was in blowing rock right. it's not too far from Boone, <clears throat> but close enough and everything i've heard too that it weren't many rotary or rotarians i think that's what they are called Ooh. rotarians yeah they, it was maybe a dozen or less members that had shown up that night. Yeah, it was probably pretty pretty thin, being that the weather was like it was. But the, one of the reasons that, that uh, Bryce went was that the Green Berets were going to be there. They were in the area, and they were going to do a demonstration, some type of military or something. I don't know exactly what it was. I read it was like a demonstration of military skiing prowess. Hmm. Whatever that is, uh, prowess <laughs> hmm. sounded fancy. It's, it's a fancy word. I, I don't think I've ever said the word prowess. At least in a way I'm comfortable with. Anyway, well, you have now. <laughs> that's it. Prowess. All right, but he did go to the dealer, the Appalachian Ski Mountain, 
to see the, the Green Berets do their thing, and they left. Yeah, they kind of cut it off short, I think, when the weather started getting really bad. Exactly. Yeah. Now, Virginia Durham was working late at the dealership, but now all the authorities and the police there believe that the parents had told their son, Bobby Joe, who was a student at the time, like we said, at Appalachian State, to meet them there to ride home because of the weather. Yeah, I don't think he wanted them going to the ball game. No, he wasn't wasn't going to the ball game at all. So they'd had a new vehicle come in the shop that day, and it was a GMC Jimmy. Bryce had told one of the employees to get it ready because I think this is a four-wheel drive vehicle, right? Yeah. And to get it ready so he could drive it home to be able to get his family home because the roads were – Roads were getting pretty bad. They were getting worse as the day went on. Yeah. And four-wheel drive, you know, they ain't never going to hurt. Yeah. And their home was up a, a steep road. Right. Even their driveway. I've seen pictures of this online. We're going to post pictures of this on all of our social media. But their driveway was up a hill, too. So, you know, to get to their home, it was going to take a four-wheel drive, mm-hmm. especially in this all this snow. Yeah, well, once he got the, the vehicle gassed up, and I don't know, I read that it was a new one, and then I also read that it was a trade-in, and then he gassed it up, and I guess that's kind of irrelevant at the point, but it was a modern Buick Pontiac, so maybe it was Pontiac GMC, so it could be new, but I guess that's kind of irrelevant. Anyway, he got it gassed up because he wanted to take the four-wheel drive vehicle, and uh, he actually uh, took one of his salesmen home and made sure he got home safely and then came back to pick up his family. And I think uh, about 8.15 is when he come back to pick up uh, Virginia and Bobby Joe at the dealership and mm-hmm. get ready to go home. But now, Dale, during this afternoon time, their daughter Jenny was at Appalachian State. She was had a job. She was working there on campus. Okay. And she had called for Bryce, her dad, to come and pick her up. Yes. And she was going to call her husband, Troy. See, she was married to Troy Hall. But they weren't living with the Durhams. They lived about four miles away in a trailer park called Greenway Village. Mm-hmm. Greenway Village. But if you look at this online, it's near the Walmart in Boone, and it's just right up the street, but it's called Greenway Commons now. And there's a bunch of apartments and condominiums there, I think, now. Yeah, a little late for trailer trailer park there. Yeah. It's all good. But uh, she had called her dad because Troy – it had been reported in the newspaper at the time that even she had said that he had had the flu and didn't want him getting out. So her dad went to get her. Right. Yeah. And during this time, they had a conversation. And I think from what I heard, Dale, that uh, Bryce and Virginia, the parents, weren't too happy with their her marriage to Troy. No, because basically I think she dropped out to be with that and – I don't know if it was so much they didn't like him or they just didn't like the point that she had dropped out of college and he really wanted her, even if she stayed with him, to go back and give it another shot to get mm-hmm. her education. Yeah, but she was working there on campus. But they had had a conversation about it. and But the report that I read that when he dropped her off at her Greenway Village trailer, everything seemed good. Yeah, Bryce seemed to very be happy. Everybody was in a good mood. So there weren't any kind of you know bad feelings about the conversation no he thought it went well from what i read too yeah there's a little bit of contradictory stuff about here because there's also somewhere else i had read that said that that uh actually troy had been going all day at the asu library but it didn't really make sense to me yeah there's two con i i've read articles too where he was at the library that day 
but he just got over the flu and his wife Jenny said he'd been at home right, with the so. flu. You uh, you sent me this article and it was from a newspaper in 1972, June of 1972, where she would was quoted as saying that Troy had the flu and was yeah. was home. So you know we'll go with that. I tend to believe a newspaper article from hearsay. Yeah, from them quoting her in 1972. Wouldn't you think? Yeah, that's that's what I would tend to to go along with. All right, we'll go with that. After Bryce had dropped his, uh, his daughter Jenny off, right, he went back to the dealership. Yeah, and I've read too in this article that the salesman there said he he was quoted saying he just went in just to get warm. Yeah, he's there only there long enough to get warm, and then uh, I back, guess I guess he was going to tell everybody where he was going, what he was doing, what right. his plans were, and then going off to see the Green Berets. Yeah, he was going to the Rotary Club and blowing rock, even though it's snowing and roads are getting bad. Yes, uh, that's, that's something I don't understand. I don't understand that. No. But, but if it's me, you know, and I know it's going to be bad, I've been up in that area when it snows. It's rough. Yeah, I'm sure. Curvy mountain roads. Tiny, curvy mountain roads. Tiny, tiny. But he went. He went to the Rotary Club. And even a fellow Rotarian later said that uh, after everything was over with and they let him go, he saw Bryce leaving about 6 p.m. And they even followed him back. Right. Yeah, because he said that it was nice to have that truck in front of him making a path for him to drive on yeah is what i read and plus you know he had somebody there in case something happened sure they could they could help, help each other out right? yeah exactly so all right bryce got back to the dealership and got his family and they returned to their home they went home and they lived in a split level residence and it was on clyde townsend road yeah which was on Route 105, right off of Route 105 bypass there in Boone. Yes. And we've got pictures of this. We're going to, like I said, post this stuff online so everybody can sort of get an idea of what what it looked like at the time. And Pretty nice house, yeah. yeah it was a split-level home with a two-car garage and a pretty nice house Yeah, to be a uh, dealer, car dealership owner. Pretty nice. Doing well in 72. Absolutely. Now, the three Durham's, like we said, Bryce, Virginia, and Bobby Joe, their son, left the dealership together after he got back from Blowing Rock. And the trip to their home was just a few miles, but they said it could it probably took them anywhere from 20 to 30 minutes. Correct, yep. Yeah, because the roads being so bad. About 9 p.m., neighbors see that Jimmy crest the hill going into the Durham's house. So they had heard it coming up the hill, and then uh, so they made it home right around 9 o'clock. And around 10.30 that night, Jenny and her boy, they were at their trailer, which, like we said, was about four miles away. They were at home, and they were watching TV, but they said that could have been the snow, could have been the weather, cut the TV out. Right. Could have. I knocked the cable out or something. Did it have cable back then in 72? I don't know. I was just going with it. <laughs> okay. Something happened. The TV went out, and they had to listen to it. And I first heard records, and then I also saw they were listening to their playback tape machine. So, yeah. So whatever they were grooving on. Yeah, exactly. Now, it's around, like we said, around 10.30 that night, the phone rang at uh, Jenny and Troy Hall's trailer. And Troy answered the phone because he knew it was about that time because they were watching TV because they were watching the Winter Olympics. Right. And they'd watched it for about 10 minutes when the TV quit working, like we said. And phone rang. Troy answered the phone. And he remembers saying, Virginia, is that you? Because the voice was muffled on the line. 
and she had told him that there were three black men in the home, and they had Bryce and Bobby Joe in the back room. Right. And then the phone went dead. Silent. Silent. And Troy told Jenny about this, and she sort of looked dumbfounded in a way from what he had said. And he even asked her that if she was a practical joker. Right. And she said, well, what, what did she say? And, and he told her what she'd said. He tried to call back right away. And it was nothing. Just a, The phone was dead. It was just dead, yeah. The phone was dead. So they got panicked. Which I guess would be a busy signal back then. And which, if you don't have a landline, you have no idea what that is. <laughs> yeah. It would just, I guess it would be busy then. Yeah. So they panicked. And they were going to head over there to see what was going on. Even though the roads were bad, they got out, went to their vehicle to go over there. But their vehicle would not crank. Right. I don't know if it was the cold or what, but their vehicle wouldn't start. Yeah, it said that uh, already had uh, snow had already blown up about halfway up the tires from the wind blowing and stuff and cold. And it was, like you said, freezing temperatures and down in sub-zero. And so they said that when you tried to start it, it just turned over several times. And then it just started clicking, you know, like the battery's dead and pulled his lights on and it just went straight dead. So the battery was just dead from the cold. Yeah. Now they had a neighbor named Cecil Lee Small. Now, Small is, he's deceased now, but at the time, he was a private investigator. And I guess they'd gotten to be friends with him and everything, and he agreed to take them to the uh, Durham's home. Yeah, I also read that he was kind of the overseer of the trailer park, too, but okay. don't really I didn't, I didn't. I didn't hear that, but yeah. Yeah, like the manager, I guess. Yeah. Now, a little side note, that you know, a little segue into something else about Cecil Small. Now, I've heard this, and I'm going to give a shout-out to mountain murder podcast they had reported and i learned this from them that cecil small was in dallas texas at the time when kennedy was assassinated and there is a report that he had made where he saw lee harvey oswald standing outside of the depository at the time of the of the kennedy assassination so that's a little segue maybe we can do something on a little bit later right but yeah he he was in dallas at the time but getting back to our story Cecil Small took uh, Jenny and Troy to the Durham's home. They got there, but his vehicle wouldn't get up the road. Right. It was a, up the driveway. I think. I think it was up the driveway. Okay. Yeah. I think when they got, they wouldn't. It wouldn't get up the driveway. They got a. I've seen pictures of it. And it's a uphill curved driveway, so it probably wouldn't have made it up there. So they still never called the cops, right? Even no, when not, they went to not, not, not they not didn't just, call them. Even then, when they went to find uh, Cecil, they didn't say anything. No, about it. It was just everything I read, they didn't call the cops. Okay, and Cecil grabbed his gun before he left. Too, I remember. Yeah, everybody has a revolver. We're taking it with him. All right. Now, when they got to the home, Troy and Cecil went to the home. They left Jenny in the car, which is how crazy is that? If you think something's happened, why are you going to leave somebody alone in the car? Right. Oh, wow. that was the first thing I thought of too. First, yeah, but. I don't know. They left Jenny in the car. You stay here. Yeah. We're taking a gun and going up there. Yeah. You stay here by yourself. Shut, lock the door. <laughs> All right. Now, when they got up to the home, the lights were on inside, but they couldn't get in. Right. They could see lights on. They were able to get in through a garage door that, right. that wouldn't go all the way down. Something had malfunctioned on this garage door. Yeah. They, now, they did uh, knock on the front door, right? Couldn't get in. They went yeah. out in the back and beat on the kitchen door and couldn't get in. And that's when uh, Cecil kind of lifted up troy and uh he peeped in the window and said it looked like it'd been ransacked yeah that's when he remembered or went around to check the garage door yeah 
Yes. And, but they were able to get in through the garage door, through the bottom. They was able to lift it up. No, no. All right, they get into the house, and they hear the TV on. Right. And the house, like we said, is torn up. Everything is just jacked up. Dale. It's all in shambles. Yeah. They were noticed on the table that drinks had been poured. Food was on the table. Some chicken was there that had been eaten on. Right. Uh, some food. So they had had a late-night snack. Mm-hmm. And they, I guess, you know, didn't think anything was was going on. Well, they probably was going to watch Olympics, too. Yeah. You know, and they got home late and uh, had it on that. that uh, it was like an upholstered bench. That, uh, I'm assuming uh, Bobby Joe was probably sitting there because of those cards. They said that uh, – he had swore he was going to beat solitaire, and you could see the cards from the photos of that, mm-hmm. that picture of that bench. So I'm assuming that's where he would he was sitting. It was about this time they heard water dripping. Yeah. And didn't they notice some blood splatter? Yeah, there were some uh, some little bit of blood, in, and it just depends on which place you're from. How, we don't know how big the pool of blood was. One said spots, one another one said some puddles, but it was uh, coagulated blood. Something mm-hmm. else, right? Yeah. But uh, they, so they saw that, heard the TV on, nobody's there, and then that's when uh, Cecil told Troy to be quiet a second and said, do you hear that? And he goes, what? He said, I hear water. It's water running or water dripping. And so they went down the hall to check it out. Mm-hmm. Thought maybe it was a sink running over or something. But then, and that's when they went down to see the, the bathroom and see if they could figure out what was going on. Yeah, when they got into the bathroom, Dale, it was the most – I guess horrific sight you could ever see or witness. Yeah, definitely wasn't a sink. It was it was pretty bad. The three family members that were at the home, Bryce, Virginia, and Bobby Joe, were bent over side by side with their heads down in a tub full of water. Right. But now this what baffles me. They heard water dripping, but the water wasn't on. What the water was doing was going into the overflow drain. Right. <clears throat> yeah yeah wasn't running into the floor or nothing was, yeah there's no water on the floor at all not not a drop that that's what baffles me too because there was no sign of struggle with them you know you'd think if you was trying to drown somebody had their head in water there would be water splash yeah he's full-grown people and they said that uh bobby joe was a pretty big fellow he was well fit you know 19 year old kid you know mm-hmm. eagle scout too yeah so he was a he was a big dude athletic right so he would have you'd think you're gonna fight back yeah, but no no water on the floor at all. And the like I said, the water was up to the overflow, so it was going down the dr- overflow drain. Right, so the tub was pretty full when it started, and and then they pushed them all in there, which would push the, the water level up over the overflow. Yeah. And then uh, we had heard that uh, their hands had been tied behind their back, but from the photo we found, it looks like, their hands are kind of tied together it showed we have a photo and we are debating on whether to post this on our social media but it does look like that one of the victims and mrs durham hands are tied together right but their hands their own personal hands aren't tied together it's just like they're t- they're tied to each other yeah it's like if it's a photo is like from behind so you can just see the bent over to the water and the two that are on the left hand the very left hand person, his right hand and the left hand of the person next to him are tied together, mm-hmm. and then you can't see the other one because one has on a jacket, and then the other hands are not visible. Mm-hmm. Now, at this time, Troy Hall and Cecil Small went to a nearby house and called police. 
And when they, the police arrived, I mean, they, they said it was a lot of police showed up. It wasn't right. just because they had never, the town of Boone is pretty small. You know, you got, you got App State there, but it's not, it's not a big town at all. Right. And this had been one of the most horrific murders that they had seen. Right. Now, one account said I had heard that uh, they both went back to the car to try to drive away because they were just trying to get out of the scene. But then it kind of got stuck, so that's when they ran to the neighbors. Now, whether that's true or not, I don't know. Yeah. But they did go to the neighbors, and they called the authorities. And when they arrived, they found the three bodies all across the lip of the tub, and water was running and overflowing into the drain. So the water was running? According to this document, the water was running. But so that would explain why it's easier for them to hear the water running instead of just dripping down the overflow. Yeah. Yeah, okay. But yeah, even if it was in the – would you hear water going into the overflow if the water wasn't running? You'd think you would hear you water. Would, but the TV was on. Yeah. You know, and just – the TV's on probably – because that's not going to be very loud now if the water is actually running. But, well, so if the water's running, then it's going to fill up faster than the overflow can drain it out. So how long had it been on? There's no telling. Hmm. I mean, it, you know, you'd think it took him a while to get to the house. So it, water had been running for a while. Right. Mm, that's, that's very interesting. So we really don't know how much water was in the tub at the point of when they put the heads in the water. Yeah. Could have been just enough to get them in there, and then they just left it running. Yeah. So you would think that they were unconscious when they put them over the tub that way. It was such a sinister way to do it, man. It's- it, they had to have been unconscious because there was no water anywhere. But now Bryce and Bobby Joe were the only ones that were drowned. They had uh, ligatures around their neck like they'd right. been choked. Like even, so they choked them out and then put them into the water. Yeah, because they had even had burn marks on their neck. Mm. But now Jenny, the wife, not Jenny, Virginia, Virginia the mother, she had not been drowned. There was no water in her lungs at all. So she was dead when they put her in. Yeah. Mm. She had been choked out, I guess. So maybe that's why you couldn't see if their hands were tied. There wasn't no need. Yeah. Which is still hard to tell from that photo. I'm just guessing. Yeah, that's that's very interesting. Now, the four-wheel drive Jimmy that they had borrowed from the dealership, you know, to be able to get around right. when in the snow, was gone. Uh, nowhere to be found at the home. That Jimmy was found abandoned about a mile away on Poplar Grove Road. The lights were on, the wipers were slapping, the doors were closed, and the motor was still running. Right. So somebody had took that vehicle from the Durham's and drove it off and bailed. Yep. Said it was like a pillowcase full of silver and stuff left found in the backseat. Silverware, yeah. Yeah, like they were stealing it. So it was like a like a robbery but was it really a robbery yeah because <clears throat> in the home they had found a like one of those bags you get from the bank that's like, got the little zipper like a deposit bag yeah, yeah. they found that in the house it was full of money from the dealership yeah from the dealership mm. and you'd think if it was a a robbery and it was found right there in the floor even non very uh intellectual robbers would know that a deposit bag would probably be worth at least picking up and checking it. Exactly. But it was left there in the floor. Right. So and they said that a lot of other uh, highly valuable items were left there too. Mm-hmm. So. so that makes you wonder what the motive was to, to murder these three people. Mm. So back to the trucks. It's in the ditch, what? So it's abandoned and then said there were another, some uh, tracks behind it 
that would uh, show that uh, basically they all bailed and got in another vehicle and, and left. Mm-hmm. So uh, the other vehicle was probably following it at the time. Yep. So in that article that I sent you, it said that uh, they were thinking that there was a cul-de-sac somewhere down behind this house. The Durham's home? Yeah, where they could stash the getaway car and then walk up behind it. And so I guess when they got up in there, they just decided to go ahead and take their truck too and get out of there. Could very, very well be. And then you know, whoever may so you would say at least there's more. Do you than think one person? Do you think that taking the Jimmy was just like a, a spare of the moment thing? Hey, this is four wheel drive. Let's take this. Probably we can get away. We can get away with this. Wow, this condition is getting bad because they said that they really didn't even see tracks or footprints around the house, mm-hmm. but yet they found tracks in the road where the car was was there so that's kind of weird to me i don't it's almost you know the snow and everything almost reminds me of the dino bravo episode we did yeah you know when they there was no tracks going to the house or coming from the house almost like they were in the house to begin with right i mean you know we don't have a lot of snow here but we have snow before and it's just it would have to be really putting it down to to disappear to disappear to cover any tracks any and all tracks you know in and out of the house or around the house especially if people were coming up from across the field because that said that they would have to come up and like jump a fence and go through a field. I'm assuming it's like a pasture. Yeah. And then come in that back way. You know, there would be tracks somewhere or you would think. Mm-hmm. You'd think. Because yeah. it wasn't that, that much time before before they got there to see the house and find the bodies and when the police got there. Yep. But then again, they did send like 12 cars full of people. So if they were tracks and they all went ambushed into the house, they probably could have destroyed a lot of i guess the crime scene wasn't preserved very well no because you had you know. yeah ton of cops showing up right and at the moment i'm sure they were just thinking what the hell's going on we gotta get in there but and like we said um there was valuable stuff in the house bryce had even been known to have a valuable collection of guns none of those were found uh silver serving platters were still there valuables you know like, a lot of stuff there but nothing, nothing that was taken. Just some, just some silverware in a in a pillowcase. So you reckon they they got their guns? They took them with them, and they just left other stuff in the car, probably trying to hurry up and get out and get in the other car and get away. Yeah, pretty much. It could have been a, a botched robbery. Yeah, uh, but why? You know, on the worst weather conditions, you know. Unless this was planned way in advance, and are we still doing this? You know, are we are we going to carry through with this? Right, and maybe it was somebody who knew him and knew he was going to that thing at the Rotary Club, and then when they got shortened and everybody got home from this thing, they got home a little bit earlier than anyone expected. Now, there's there's one theory on this that uh, Bryce knew of some car dealers in Boone that were doing some shady dealing. They were. Rolling back the miles on vehicles. Yeah, changing the odometer readings. Yeah, and changing titles and things. And he was aware of this and was threatening to go to the police. Because, right. like we said, Bryce was a pretty honest man. He he dealt with people, dealt with people in, a, in an honest way, and and that's just the way he believed. Right. And he threatened to go to the police on this because this was affecting his business too. Yes. And there is a theory out there that this – syndicate of people so it could have been like a hit you think yeah was going to take him out yeah because it's even if it's a robbery even if it's a boss robbery who's going to take the time to 
tie them up and run a bathtub full of water. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That's just odd to me that 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 I would even come across as a way you want to take someone out. You know, mm-hmm. even if it's a robbery, I don't know. Just uh, it's just strange. Now, who would even think of that? Really? <laughs> I mean, I know it ain't funny, but it's like there's uh, there's another theory too that's way out there, but. You know, like we said, the Green Berets were in town. Right. And they were doing a demonstration at Ski Mountain. And there is a theory that they did this as a training exercise to, I don't know. Yeah, I said that's what I read too. But it was like uh, the way they were killed. Some people were being killed in Vietnam or something. And it was almost like a military type kill. Yeah. Well, the way it was staged. In and out, clean. Yep, and the the way things were strode about the house looked almost like it was done on purpose. Yeah, there's a picture of that, that ottoman that I was talking about, or a bench, and it looks like it's an ottoman thrown across it, like the, like the room was just ransacked, but yet there's a drink sitting on that, and it's tilted a little bit, but it's like it never got knocked over, so it's like it was kind of placed there, mm-hmm. it looks to me, like the ottoman was placed on top of the bench to make it look like stuff was thrown around. But what reason would the... The Green Berets have to come in and kill citizens. That's, yeah, I don't make. I don't that, make any sense. It doesn't make much sense at no, all. No, but it is a theory that's out there. Yeah. There's also a theory too that uh, Troy Hall, the son-in-law, was involved with this. Yeah, I don't know why he would have wanted wanted to murder his in-laws. Um. But there is a there is a theory out there that he was behind this. Well, if he takes them all out, then Jenny's the sole heir. Yeah, and they didn't like him anyway. Yeah, yeah, he wasn't a student at Appalachian State University, and the Durhams weren't real well off. But they had a little bit of money and they had a good life insurance policy. And I think what Jenny got out of it in '72 was about two hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. So I don't know what the, I hadn't converted that to today's money, but I seen it was a little over a million, million and a half. So there. It was like two hundred fifty thousand or something, but it was somewhere in. Uh, I'd heard that it was somewhere a little over a million today. I'm that's not, a pretty good chunk exact. of change. Yeah, but and know. there's been a lot of people killed over less. Yeah. So. So you think Jenny would have been in on it too? I don't think she was. I don't. You know. I don't think she was. Mm. Yeah, it all, it, to me, it kind of looks like that the son-in-law would have something to do with it because nothing else even makes any kind of sense. Yeah. There's an interview I read with the former sheriff there in Boone, and he had even said that he doesn't believe that the phone call even happened. Even happened. The one from Virginia to the hall trailer. That's what I want to know, too. I, I would like to know if Jenny actually heard the phone ring or they're playing music and he just grabs the phone up and acts like he answered. You know, yeah. I would like to know that myself. I thought about that as soon as we we started checking into this story. I'm like, did the phone call actually even happen? And because that's strange, and then you go out and then your car doesn't crank, mm-hmm. and that's another weird thing that just gives more time for whatever's going on. And then I don't know, it's just weird. And then he calls back knowing that the phone is dead and say, "Here, look, it's dead. Listen, it's dead." Right. You know. That's a very good possibility there. It's all weird. Yeah. You know, I don't know. I don't think, I really don't think the dude did it himself, but he may have had it done or. That's, that's pretty sketchy. Promise, promise somebody a lot of guns and money and stuff if they could 
you know, I don't know. Yeah, that's that's pretty sketchy. I do know that uh, Jenny and Troy uh, divorced. Yeah. A few years after all this. this, Yeah. Yeah. And he went on to become an attorney and a construction business owner. Right. He's in Georgia now, right? Lawrenceville, Georgia. Mm. He has a a law practice down there. I even looked up his uh, uh, website and found his law firm. Yeah, okay. So I ain't saying you did it, Troy. I'm just saying. (laughs) (laughs) It kind of looks that way. You look sketchy, dude. (laughs) Yeah. By the way, we live in... Uh, Alaska. Yeah, Alaska. <laughs> Corn fed Alaska. Yep. Out. We don't have any internet out there, dude. But anyway, it does look pretty sketchy to me that Troy have, could have had something to do with this. Yeah. And I know Jenny, she remarried and she married a guy named Steve Mackey. And they even moved to Washington State. Yeah, it she looks like she wanted to get away. As far away as she could. Yeah, that was about as far as you can go. And I've heard that. She still has a home in the area, around Boone or Elkin or somewhere, mm-hmm. that she comes back and visits every now and then. And Steve Mackey, her current husband, said it's it's even tough today on the anniversary of these murders, you know, having to, you know, deal with Jenny and what she has to go through every year around this time. Yeah, it's, it's, it would be very, very hard. I mean, just think about it a bit. I don't know. It was kind of strange that it kind of goes back to her, them making her stay in the car. Like he already knew, yeah. you know, what was going on. You stay here. We're going to go check it out. Being dude with a gun. What's his name? Cecil Small. Yeah, me, and, me and Cecil's going to go check this out. You stay in the car. It's kind of like, I don't know. If, it's, if you're going to your parents' house, would you not just like the, the hell with that? I'm oh, going, yeah. you know. Oh, she had to be freaking out. Yeah. <laughs> sitting in. And then, like, do they come out? Do they go back to the car? Or do they just run straight to the neighbors? Do they even go tell her what's going on? I'm sure they went back and told her. So, oh, God. So, how do you do that? I don't yeah. Know I don't know. It'd be almost, would it have been better for her just to go in the house? Right. And accidentally find it like the rest of them. Yeah. That's what air quotes. <laughs> yeah. That's that's really, really strange. I'm I'm sorry, Troy, but it, you look very sketchy in my eyes. But. Yeah, I hope you wasn't in on it, but it sure looks like it. <laughs> yeah. Now, Dale, 40 years ago, there was a Boone native named uh, Rufus Edmiston. He was a lawyer at the time, and he was on the staff for Senator Sam Irvin, who became famous for the Watergate hearings. And he had heard about the killings in his hometown, and Edmiston had called Sheriff Carroll, who told him, we got us a big one. A big one. Yeah. And that's Southern talk for you. A big one. <laughs> and after Edmiston, you know, became deputy chief counsel for Irvin during the Watergate hearings, he was elected to the North Carolina Attorney General in 1974. And he had made this case a top priority for the State Bureau of Investigation. And he had even talked to Jenny several times over the years, several times a month talking about this case, even in any updates. Now, Edmiston now works for a law firm in Raleigh, and he spent more personal time on the Durham case than any other during his career. And he said this is more baffling than any other. Yeah, right. Even when he was with the SBI, he even would assign agents to the case that had no knowledge of it whatsoever just to see if they could find something looking at it with the fresh eyes. Mm-hmm. So he was, he was really thinking outside the box on that. Now, Bryce Durham 
his parents were still alive at the time and they died without ever knowing who killed their son and their daughter-in-law and grandson. Mm. So that's pretty sad. All right, Dale, you got any more comments on this? Because this, this case went cold. There's They've still today, it's unsolved. Yeah, I don't know. It just blows my mind. It, I don't know. It's just a weird, a weird night for something to happen. There's a lot of weird coincidences. I don't know. Was he home? Was he not home? Did he get a phone call while I went in the car crank? I don't know. Yeah. Now, why did they kill him? Yeah. <laughs> why did they not rob? Why didn't they take the money if it was a robbery? Now, like we said, medical examinations later determined the presence of rope burns around all their necks, all the victims' necks, and an autopsy revealed that Virginia had died of strangulation and that her son and husband were strangled before being drowned in the tub of running water. So, yeah. So I was wondering where where did the blood come from? Because there's no talk of that. There's no top, talk of that in the autopsy report. Nothing. And then in that article that we found, it said that uh, at the time of this writing of this article, some new now this article came out when in June. Yeah, it's the same year. Like June seventy two. The murder was in February, and this article came out in June. And so you're looking five months, right? And it said that uh, at the time at the writing of this. Uh, of this article, several new investigative details have been made public. Bullet holes has been found that were, or had been confirmed, were actually found inside the Durham home. And uh, an empty bread box in the basement of the Durham home, quote, may have contained something valuable, quote, unquote, before the house was burglarized. So they did find some bullet holes. They never said anything about anybody that had been shot. Nobody had so, been shot, according so to the autopsy. where did the blood come from? Now, maybe one of the assailants? Could very well be in. I don't if know. If he had a collection of guns, maybe he could have got to the gun. But if he got the gun and then they got the wife and they got a rope around the neck, he's going to give it up. Mm-hmm. You know? Oh, yeah. So you don't really know what happened. But I, I asked you earlier, that's like where I was thinking, when they found the, the pools of blood, no big, no matter how big they were, none of these three people, they said, had any wounds that would have caused that. No, 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 no wounds like that. So that's kind of odd, too, you know. Even especially when the evidence has been made public. Yep. The, the bullet holes in the walls. Now, don't didn't say somebody had been shot, but a, a gun had went off at some point. Mm-hmm. Yep, according to this newspaper article from 72. Right. Yep. And it's, it's, you know, what gets me, you know, the, the Durham's hadn't been in Motaka County that long. And, yeah, they didn't really have a big network of people. So... It's just that just that just blows my mind, Dale. It's just strange, yeah. Yeah, the the article was Boone, North Carolina, June thirtieth, nineteen seventy two, just to give credit. The the article was entitled uh, The Wildest Day in Daniel Boone Country and there was an article by J. Edmund. I guess I'm saying that right. It is J J Y Edmund E T T M A N. All right, Dale. There were prints found in the house and Every so often, they run these prints against, you know, prints that come into. How many sets of prints? Just say, just one, and they don't know if it's a a fingerprint or a palm print. They they haven't been able to determine. It's it's a partial. So it's a partial. It's right. a partial print, but they do run it against. 
database every now and again. Every now and then to see if anything comes in and nothing has came in on this this print. What about the blood? Did they get any DNA out of that? Not that I know of. Of course, this is save 72. So. Yeah. And, you know, getting back to the phone call, Troy said that Virginia told him there were three black men right. in the house that were had Bryce and Bobby Joe in the back room. You know, if there was any kind of struggle, you know, they you'd think they would have found hair fiber. Yeah. Or something. But there was no African American hair found in the home. Yeah, it just come like did the phone call actually happen? Yeah. And then why would you blame it on a black guy? Yeah. I've seen too many reports being blamed on black guys. Yeah. So it just it just doesn't make any sense. All right, Dale. Any last words before we get out of here on this case? No, it's a pretty good case. Pretty good story. It's a sad ending. Uh, appreciate Sandy turning us on to it. And oh yeah, I've been researching it and I've been intrigued by it ever since. Pretty amazing story. Yeah. And I didn't know anything about it until Sandy mentioned it. Right. And he just lived down the street. That's what it, it did. Matter of fact, he just told me that yesterday. He remembered it being an extremely cold day and there was so much snow. And he just woke up and just remembered all the cops that down there that day. And he was looking forward to hearing what we come up with on this. And hope you hope you enjoyed the episode here. Well, I hope we do it good. justice for you, Sandy. Right. So, uh, but uh, yeah, other than that, I don't know, man. It just it blows my mind. It's still cold. Nobody knows anything. But it's really it's all over the place. So where do you, where would they even start from? Yeah. I mean, there's not looking not at very much to go on. Forty seven years ago. Right. Stuff thrown everywhere. Some stuff took. Some stuff not taken. Took the car, wrecked it on the side of the road. <laughs> took their own car and left. So mm-hmm. was that just another diversion, just just to get them off the property quicker? Could have been. All right, Dale. We're gonna get out of here. We want everyone to be safe, be careful, and always be aware of your surroundings. Because the next episode could be about you. This is the, the Crack, Crack House, House Chronicles. Chronicles.